Tapping in this week with Elias Spate from North Pole Hoops and the National Preparatory Association. Elias was named one of the top 20 most powerful voices, influential people in basketball and Canadian basketball. It was an honor to have him on. He's someone who's built culture and built infrastructure for the sport for young people um, to be able to get another opportunity uh, at the next level, whether that's collegially or in the professional ranks. For me personally, a huge fan of the man. I love the way that he is portraying himself as a role model. He is being a role model for the youth. Um, And also, in addition, how he just thinks about the methodology of creating an identity of a player. That's a lot of what we talked about. What are the winning characteristics of a player? What are the mentalities you need to adapt? How do things like social media, Media, social relationships play into that, a skill development side, uh, coaches and recruits, what do they need to see? So I love this conversation. We kept it to an hour. Um, it was our first call in. It went beautifully. Thank you for your time and uh, enjoy this podcast. The Think Space podcast is a home for the passionately curious. We aim to dig deep and learn as much as possible by connecting the right questions with the right people. So we bring in some of the best minds in the Pacific Northwest, regardless of their industry, to extract the most value from their stories and experiences. Yes, you're going to get something from this episode, which is good. Or you could get something from every episode we release by subscribing on whichever platform you're listening on. You can find the full show notes at thinkspacepodcast.com or have the visual experience of this podcast over on YouTube. If you want to get looped into some exclusive content or private giveaways, join our mailing list. The link's in the description. Elias, thank you for joining me from Toronto, our first call-in. Super excited to have you here. Um, Wish you were on the West Coast with us, but you will be here soon, I'm sure, doing your, your national circuits and all that. Thank you for joining us, my man. Pleasure to be on, man. Good reconnecting with you. Uh, we know we've been trying to set this up for some time and schedules work the way they do, but it's it's good to be here. Yes, they do. Busy people, busy people. So uh, let's let's not uh, let's trim the fat. Let's jump right into it, man. Uh, a lot of people know you as the founder of you know North Pole Hoops. Can you just get a little bit into the ethos of that, what that actually means? Uh, I know public perception is one thing and I know what it actually means to the founders. Another thing. For sure. Um, I mean, Everything started up with my brother and I, uh, both co-founders, um, just a lack of opportunities where it all it all got started, um, trying to find a scope, a platform that allows Canadian talent to be recognized globally, um, scholarship opportunities to open up. And that, that's really how this all got going, just uh, through a lack of opportunity and a void in, a, in an industry, uh, a non-existent industry, if you will, mm. uh, at that time. We're talking 15 years ago. Um, and now here we are today, Canadian basketball is booming bigger than ever. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much the origin right there. Yeah. Talk about, talk about gratification. I was just listening to an interview with you on CBC and talking about, you know, this is only the beginning when, when Toronto won the, won the championship last year. And, uh, yeah, I don't think maybe you can provide some context around when you're creating, um, you know, for instance, international sports like um, a soccer or football or baseball, whatever it may be, there's already like infrastructure there. Those are already viable businesses. There's already fanship there. There's already developed talent there. You're you're coming into, I I don't know if this is analogous, but it's almost like if I was to try to start an ecosystem around cricket in in Canada today, like basketball was unknown. It it was so far down the list. It wasn't even funny. Um, so what you've kind of done in my interpretation of it is literally create an ecosystem, both from a business standpoint and from a player development standpoint. Um, did, did you see this all the way through, you know, 15 years ago, day one, what was the vision at that point? Because this, this sport wasn't even heard of in this country. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a good point. Um, I mean, hockey has long been, uh, the head honcho in Canada. And when we were coming up, as I, as I mentioned earlier, through that you know, lack of opportunity and traveling to the States often to visit my cousins in Michigan, um, they had a system. They had a system in place, an infrastructure, if you will, where you know, college coaches were, were making their way into high school games. High school games there had upwards of 1,000 people uh, watching. And to us, that was absurd. To right. us in Mississauga, at that time, you'd be lucky to get you know, 20 people in your, your mom, your dad, and your closest, you know, your siblings maybe and a couple right. classmates. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, moving into, moving into the, the way things got cracking here in Canada, um, you know, where, where do I begin? I mean, 
you start with how do you, how do you get college coaches in the building? That's, that's first and foremost, it's a huge, uh, huge investment first from myself and my brother, just you know, traveling to, to the U S and pumping out money at that time, working construction, working three jobs to ensure that we have the capital to keep this thing going and to, to get kids recognized. Um, in terms of the structure, the structure was, was kind of set in stone. Uh, and then there was a vision, uh, a manifestation, if you will, uh, 10 years ago and pieces just kept getting added naturally, um, through the way the industry developed and through the way, uh, we molded into it. So, I mean, for us at the, at the lowest levels, at the foundation level, um, you have the showcase circuit, which is used to first identify all the talent across Canada. And the entire, the entire system is geared towards getting them to the highest levels, which is, you know, playing professionally mm. in between those, those levels, uh, things kind of just happen naturally based off of a need. So for example, uh, we own and operate the national preparatory association as well. That's a nationwide league of prep schools from across Canada that participate for a national championship. That's something I'm assuming we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but that is a piece that we didn't have in mind. We didn't envision prior to, but it was a need and, and, and a want from, from the people at large. Mm. Uh, so it was kind of, you know, for the people, by the people. Mm. Um, but I mean, it all started with just showcase circuit tournaments, different sorts of events, and then piece by piece, kind of just as the industry molded, we, we figured out what is absolutely necessary. For example, um, Canada's only NCAA certified tournament. Mm. That is something that we run in, in July as well. That just kind of happened. Mm. That happened because the dollar was going up so high. Right, and right. We were going to the States and spending $1.33 per dollar. And it made no sense. So we said, wait a minute, we have this huge clientele through our scouting service. Why don't we just invite the college coaches into Canada? Yeah, they got the funds, they got the, you know, the budgets to to do that kind of travel. If they're traveling to Lithuania, Australia, and elsewhere, Whatever, yeah. why wouldn't why wouldn't they just come across the border? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, things kind of just flowed naturally. But um, the vision started ten years ago. the The foundation was laid ten, 10 years ago, and it's just been building blocks from there. So that's that's from a, a structural standpoint and how you kind of built that up. That's beautiful. Now the culture we experience now. I mean, like. Ball is life wasn't even uh, wasn't even a phrase back there. I mean, I remember when those guys from Ball is Life were just like hopping around with camcorders, looking stupid on this on the baseline, and, and now that's maybe the most common thing to do in in gyms. And maybe you can speak a little bit to how you know North Pole Hoops and you, yourself specifically has built the actual culture around the sport of basketball because. As much as it's yeah, you're you're putting a ball through a hoop. It's all it's a way of life. It's a moment of hope for a lot of kids, and and you've now manifested and and built and structurally um, created culture in some way. And people try to fabricate culture all the time, and it's really tough. How the hell did you fabricate or organically grow this you know abundant culture that now exists around the sport in Canada? I think that's a you know, that's a that's a huge that's a loaded question. Um, culture is any, any business, uh, the internal culture, I think is, is one that ends up making it into the the mainstream market. Um, for us, it's, you get what you put in, everything is earned. That's the, that's the internal culture because, you know, starting off as a, as a young business, you don't have, uh, you know, a bankroll for, uh, for payroll, for example, right. but the the internal members of the team recognize that this is brand new, and it is going to grow, and it does have potential to grow. But you got to invest first into yourself, and that is the same culture that that we push towards the kids that come to our camp, and the parents that come in for consultations with with regards to recruiting, and it's through the subliminal messages that are that are in our marketing, things like game speaks. Right. Uh, what is that? What does that really mean? Well, game speaks means that when you're on the floor, uh, everything that you show should do the talking. All the the hoopla, the, the tweets, and all that other stuff. It doesn't matter. You posting of yourself in the gym, getting up shots, and you know it's it's about what you do in, in secret. Um, so I think for any culture in a business, it's important that it's developed internally first and then pushed outwards. Um, so I mean. 
on a on a in the grand scheme um taking this methodology and and moving it across canada i think it 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 was pushed through our camps that's that's what helped us uh the most um i don't think that it's possible without strategic pieces to the puzzle and what i mean by that is personnel who absolutely holistically believe that this is the way that it's going to be that it's it's all about uh investment into the self first mm. understanding understanding what the culture of the, of the business is internally and then being able to push it outward this episode is brought to you by Self-Hired. Self-Hired, if you don't know, is a content studio that specializes in video production as well as photography and yes, podcast production. So if you are an individual or you are head of a company or a marketing manager or a content manager at a company that's thinking about one of the most powerful mediums in 2020 and want to start a podcast, uh, give the fellas over at Self-Hired um, a call that you can reach them at selfhired.com um, or info at selfhired.com if you want to blast them an email. Thank you guys so much. And here's to the episode. Yeah, I mean, culture isn't like, um, isn't necessarily a list of words on a wall, but it's a, you know, a list of, or, of actions throughout the day or actions throughout the week, actions throughout the month, right? It's felt. <clears throat> it's felt in a very specific way. You said earlier, that you know you invest in yourself first and as a player that's easy to understand or as anyone that's in the athletic realm that's easy to understand you know you're working your fundamentals you're working on your pivots whatever it may be um you're working on your shot form or you're working on your mental game and your meditation and your focus that's investing in yourself in a business sense it becomes more complicated well i'm like i need to get money in the door i need to develop my people i need to develop myself i need to understand my market better when you talk about mph um, in the early days, what is investing in yourself as a business or as a business owner actually look like? What does investing in yourself as a business? Okay. That's a, so that's a great question as well. Um, I think sacrifice is the biggest thing. That's what investing into yourself is like putting personal relationships on hold that you really, really want to push, but are unable to because of the differences, uh, socially right. um, investing into yourself monetarily if that means you know back in the day traveling to traveling to kansas traveling to kentucky having to sleep in the car having to shower at gyms yeah and you know, ymca life to, yep not being able to afford hotels at the time all that kind of stuff and, and and those are things that that no business person i think should be ashamed of they should put that out in the open mm. because every business has a beginning and that type of initial sacrifice investment is most necessary if anything is going to thrive. And if, to your earlier question, if you are going to truly build a concrete foundation for that culture, the people before, the people that come after you need to know that, hey, if this is the leader that I'm going to follow, is he just talking the talk or has he walked it as well? Right. And, and in, in our case, we've We've had to do that. We've had to to sacrifice uh, immensely, um, whether that's you know up until late twenties, sharing a room uh, with my with, with our co-founder and, and partner in this business and brother uh, Tarek, and you know building one of the rooms into an office, or um, you know not paying yourself, not putting yourself on salary for quite some time. All that stuff is absolutely necessary, and I think that once the the pieces that are in your business as, as employees and contractors and other staff recognize that leadership is making those sacrifices, then everything kind of falls in line from there. Right. Yeah. It's very easy to see lead by example, right? I mean, in some forms, that's the best form of leadership, right? I mean, and especially as humans were, we learn by seeing others do, I mean, we're just evolved monkeys, my friend, right? Like, it's like, if I see him do that, okay, that's the way to win. Let me emulate that. Or I can, I can now believe in that, right? You seeing is believing. <clears throat> and, and for, you know, for basketball context, context and reference, you know, just look at Kobe Bryant with, with LA, oh, yeah. um, look at, look at the type of work ethic he had, uh, when he was playing on the Lakers, he'd be the first one in the gym, the last one out. And then other people, uh, that came on rookies that came in, saw that, wait a minute, this guy's at the top of the game already. Mm. He's one of the greatest of all time. Yet he puts in this ridiculous amount of of effort and even till this day you know those 12 hour days are still required here at north pole hoops and 
you know, just from a basketball context perspective, if Kobe's doing that, if the elite of the elite are doing that, then what should everybody else be doing? Yeah, see, that's so interesting. You know, Kobe, Mike, LBJ, whatever it may be, draw whatever reference you want, or even if you want to go to the business world, like, you know, the Phil Knights, the Elons, or whatever it may be, they're all, they all exhibit that work ethic. Now here in 2020, we have this like wave of, um, health and wellness and all this type of stuff. We see anxiety on the rise and like, you know, people are, you know, their health is being put to a detriment. And so as much as like, I'm someone who's like essentially subscribed to that exact philosophy you're talking about their entire life. I'm kind of taking a step back and looking at it and be like, Hmm, okay, how do I do this? But make sure I'm a, it's sustainable and B, you know, my level of purpose and fulfillment is is sustained over that same amount of time. So how do you strike a balance if you if that time is indeed required, which it is undoubtedly? I mean, that just gives you a shot. That doesn't guarantee success. It just gives you a, you know, a chance to open the door. How do you strike a balance between that level of work ethic and at the same time making sure, you know, the the health and the wellness, whether that's mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever it is, how do you strike that balance as someone that works their ass off the way that you do. Yeah, I think uh, for me, I learned the hard way uh, to ha- for how to strike that balance. Right. Um, it wasn't until I developed uh, sciatica, mm. um, which has a lot to do with nerve endings and and kind of clinching of, of of a certain muscle group. And for me, it ran uh, from my lower back down to down to my leg, and I literally could not move a muscle. Damn. And I could not get out of bed. I could not turn. And that came from the amount of travel that I was doing at that time. It was flight to hotel, hotel to gym, gym to car, so on and so forth. And it was nonstop for a very long time, um, for several months. And that eventually caught up. Right. And once that did, um, that's for me what, what, you know, what kind of made me realize that, okay, this is it. Like you have to you have to, yes, you have to stick to your vision. Yes, you have to stick to your values, but there, there has to be, something's got to give. Right. And it took a special person to, to kind of come into my life to, to make me recognize that. Um, So for a lot, for a lot of people, I think, and especially for ultra competitive people, it takes that kind of punch in the face before you, before you recognize it because you feel like you can work forever yeah, and that you're invincible at times. And you got this, you know, all these endorphins and all this, all this energy pumping through your blood, but eventually you hit a wall. Mm. So for me, for, I, I, I can only speak for myself. I know everybody's different, but for me, uh, it took that happening and certain relationships being broken and pushing certain people away before I realized that, Hey, this is not right. I need a balance. I need to get back into the gym. I need to spend my energy here. I need to, you know, balance the testosterone levels. Yeah. All that. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, that's a big piece, man. That's a, that's a really big piece. I, I think one of the lessons I've learned is like, it's, if we get paid on the quality of decisions we make, right. As, as business people, as coaches, as scouts, essentially like, you know, the person that brought Pascal Siakam in is is getting paid, and and the people that invest their time and energy into certain people or certain directions, like it's based on the quality of decision you make. And I think if you're overworking yourself and you're exhausted or burnt out, you know, again, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it may be, you're not in a position to make great decisions. Period. You know, like for me, I work in the mm-hmm. wealth management space. My job is to make decisions, and so it's like. I need to, number one, get my physical self in check. I need to make sure my my hormone levels are straight. I need to make sure that I'm getting sweats in. I need to make sure that I'm breathing, make sure that I'm meditating, make sure that I'm like the right foods are in my body so I can fuel myself the right way because that's baseline. It's like trying to perform sure. as an athlete, um, you know, trying to play a game, two games in a row, whatever it may be, without drinking water or, you know, playing yep. playing games drinking just Gatorade that's just not gonna it's just not gonna fuel you it's baseline you there is nothing past that if you can't figure that out and it, it, you okay you need to work 12 hours 14 hours cool how do you actually sustain that how how can you make that healthy and how can you make that you know work for you in a way that is going to actually reap rewards because it's not time in it's quality of time this is something we preach as coaches all the time 
Are they, are they, are they goofy shots? Are they half court shots or are they game shots? Are they game speed? Where are you visualizing while you're taking those shots? Right. Et cetera, et cetera. For um, sure. for sure. I'd love if you could speak a little bit to what is just to take a step back in terms of your, your internal team, your internal culture, because you develop players all the time. You develop people all the time. And a lot of coaches and scouts and players are listening to this right now. How do you build your internal team? What qualities are you looking for? What qualities are you trying to build? How do you make that work for you um, for your internal team? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it requires uh, it requires a narrative. And for us, our business is uh, very much surrounded around the makings of the San Antonio Spurs and some of the characteristics that they have. And I'll just kind of look up on the wall here. You see some of the personality traits. This is our championship wall. So yes, as soon sir. as you walk into the office, this is the first thing you see. Great energy, character, personnel, leadership, uh, people with composure, being able to manage the ego. I think that is is one of the the ultimate ways for for businesses to thrive. You're gonna have we're a people business, no matter no matter which way you slice it. Um, you know whether it's dealing with clients, whether it's dealing with staff, whether whoever the case may be. Um, and the the biggest thing, if if you can't manage your ego and you can't come to an understanding of of putting others first business is not going to fly yeah. because word of mouth travels extremely, extremely quickly. Um, so I think, you know, building a narrative and, and kind of a comparison uh, for something that already exists, that is already successful and kind of simulating that and showing how there's cross-reference there is what ultimately allows people to, to buy in. Mm. It's so hard to get buy in, especially from young people, everyone who's, who's reaching out to us now and wants to get involved in basketball because it's a sport that's blowing up. There's people coming out of college and they kind of got their hand out. Like where's, where's mine. Yeah. You just came out of college. You got no experience. What, what do I owe you? Right. And, and that goes to the, to the uh, level of entitlement uh, in today's modern day society. Um, that is something that just doesn't fly. It doesn't fly in basketball. It doesn't fly in business. Uh, it doesn't fly in corporate structure. It doesn't fly in any type of team setting. So again, it goes back to the ego, right? Right. Um, having that, having that son of a gun in check, that will will take you far. Yeah. So there's one thing in principle. It's one thing in in philosophy, and and one thing to strategize about that. Okay, listen, get your ego in check. Get other people's around you ego in check. But you ever dealt with a super egotistical person? There's a lot of successful people that are super egotistical or whatever it may be. How do you even approach that situation? I mean, you maybe you're hiring someone or maybe it's, it's a player that's really got the juice. You know, having those conversations uh, as a man is tough. No doubt. No doubt. Um, so I, in, in my line of business, um, you're dealing with a lot of elite, elite level players different personalities. And I think that, that people with those levels of, of egos need to be checked. Mm. Um, they need to be checked by a voice that, that they respect. Um, one that is equally as gifted or equally as talented in their own craft. It doesn't have to be the same craft. Um, but that's, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. You got to be able to check them in a way that is not confrontational. Right. Because if you do, con if it's, if it's an aggressive confrontational manner, then defense goes up, walls go up yep. and forget trying to, trying to get to them then. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really about your approach. Um, that's really it, man. Intuitive. I'm sure a lot as well. Experience, right? For sure. Did dealing sure. with that, yeah. So it's a nice little segue into we'll flip that around and go, all right, you know, for the players listening, when it comes to how you present yourself in a room, when it comes to how you present yourself on the court, when it comes to how your interaction with the players uh, or just the individuals around you, you know, what's the narrative that you wish, because you spoke about narratives earlier that you kind of would hope young elite players take in their own internal dialogue as it, as it pertains to that. 
Okay. So, uh, deep, that's a, that's a deep one. Um, we, we got this three tier system you have, it's, it's all regarding identity. Mm. Uh, when you're building a narrative for yourself as a player, it essentially is your identity. And our system is your identity as a prospect, your identity as a student as the core and your identity amongst your peers. In all of those tiers, we list out all of the possible traits in those tiers. Now, when I'm at camp and I ask the question, how many of you are trying to go pro? How many of you are trying to, uh, you know, receive an, a division one NCAA scholarship? All the hands go you up. You can imagine every single hand goes up, every single one. Right. Now, at the end of camp, the same question is slightly altered. And it's how many of you think that you are on route to receiving a division one scholarship or playing professionally? And guess how many hands go up? How many? Four, six tops, yep. maybe 10, 10 at some of the best camps, but that's out of 150 people. Yeah. And the reason for that is they've now, they've done their homework. On day one, they take home that three-tier system, which is a narrative of their identity. And they are able to self-evaluate. Mm. So once you've self-evaluated and you've seen, wait a minute. I, I got flaws here, here, and here on the prospect chart. Right. As a student, I haven't even written my SAT test. I haven't even written a practice test. Wait a minute. I'm flunking in, ma- in math. Yeah. This, that, and the other. Oh, attendance. I'm, I haven't been, like, I've been skipping classes. Then there's an awakening, right? right. Or amongst your peers. Amongst your peers, it's no longer, it's no longer a matter of uh, me and you face-to-face or, or in person. Your identity amongst your peers means a lot more than that. It means who you present yourself to be on social media. Mm. Nothing is real on social media. Mm. You haven't <laughs> seen a single person on social media that has a, uh, a uh, what's the best words to use here? Uh, a, d- a depressed persona right. or, or something. That's, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. You know where I'm getting at. Yeah, I know, I know what you're feeling, um, yeah. But what's going on behind those scenes, right? There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of testing. There's a lot of kids that will post a picture, not get enough likes, remove it. Right. There's a, a lot of kids that that spend hours upon hours on social media. And through that, they don't even know that it's happening, but they're actually losing confidence right. because they're looking at other people's pages and the amount of followers and the amount of likes. And, and they feel like, oh, I need some of that too. So they lose sense of identity. Mm. And when you lose sense of identity, you don't have a narrative. You don't know where your story begins and where it ends. So what we try to empower and encourage kids to do is self-evaluate first. List your goal. What what is your main target here? What what are you trying to do ultimately? From there, work backwards. Mm. What's the checklist that is involved in, in reaching that goal and once they've seen it for themselves and they can look at themselves in the mirror and say i'm not even close then now you have a narrative damn now you control where that story goes right so much to go off of that maybe a quick one here is how do you in in 2020 how do you think these kids these players either just young people in general and when i say young i mean shit anyone under 30 really um, how do you think they should interact with this new digital medium of, of social? Because it's it's integrated into the fabric of our of our culture and our lives, but it's there's negative reasons and there's positive reasons. I can lose my own narrative if I don't use it correctly. How should I even approach that if I'm a player? If if you're a player specifically, sure. I am I'm absolutely limiting. I'm placing a legit limit on my phone as to how much time is spent mm. on there. And there's a lot of ways to figure out, like, for example, I, uh, I'm forced to creep some, some players pages (laughs) in order to to get an understanding of who they are. And, you know, in our player profile system, you know, while I'm talking, I'll I'll pull up a a player profile to give you an example. Mm. In a profile, you can see the amount of posts that a player has wow. if they have a few thousand posts and a lot of them are selfie oriented mm. 
you know exactly what's going on in that head. You know how self-conscious they are. You know how um, it's a, it shows me it's a lack of character. Yeah. It's look at me. I need attention. Um, if they, um, you know, on the, I, f- I forgot what it's called when you go to the pages where, where er- you see what everyone else is liking. Right, 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 like right, not, right. Not your likes when you see what everyone else is liking. Everyone's you activity. See, exactly. Yeah. Th- th- that page. That kind of tells you, okay, how much time are they spending on here? What's important to them? Right. And then you break down. Okay, wait a minute. I got 24, 24 hours in a day. If I got 24 hours in a day, and Princeton and Harvard studies are telling us that kids are between the ages of 13 and 17, 18 are spending four hours a day, three to four hours a day on social media. Yeah. How on fucking earth is it possible that someone who's spending four hours a day on social media is going to reach this significant milestone of a scholarship opportunity right one of the most limited things it's 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 essentially a jackpot it's a lottery of, of sorts absolutely right and then then the pros that's a whole nother a whole nother whole lottery story. yeah um so i mean it's it really is simply impossible for them to get to that level if their activity level is so high so first and foremost if and going back to your original question i'm limiting the amount of time that is spent on social media iPhones have it, Androids have it. You can set a time limit. You can set an alarm that tells you I'm spending too much time or like this is it, like 15 minutes a day, tops. Yeah. That's that's the route that I'm taking. And that's crazy for most most kids, like 15 minutes. That's like two videos or whatever it is. Like what? I can't do that. Um how many profiles can I creep in 15 minutes? This is not enough. Um, but to that point, it's like, yeah. well, what's what, prioritize what's really important in life. Time, time is your most scarce resource. Once it's spent, you never get it back. And, um, you know, c- consuming is not the way to spend your time to, in order to leave a, to, to lead a, a fulfilled life or in order to lead uh, a high level life, a period. Um, you know, and, and I think that's, that's discovered now that we've had social for a little while. So I want to touch back a little bit on uh, your earlier point. You said you have, um, you kind of divide player identity into three silos and, and you kind of think about, okay, well, what's the, what characteristics do you need in each in order for you to be a viable option for a university or for a professional club to look at you? Um, what, what is the winning formula? What should I be trying to, what are the key components of a winning formula uh, for a player to be looked at, whether it's again, school or professional club? Uh, is there one or does it vary for every person? I think it varies at different stages. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of players that, that maximize on their potential at a very early age. And then there's late bloomers. Yeah. So after you've identified the, the physical traits and, and what that player could project, you're going into his, his, his bag, his skill set. If you're looking at a point guard, you're thinking elite ball handler, you're thinking uh, dagger three-point shooter. He's got to be able to knock it down from three if given space. Um, he's got to have the intangibles as well as the tangibles. He's got to have the vocal ability to lead and the respect level from his from his peers to actually listen to him. Right. Um, if you're looking at if you're looking at forwards, they need to be very hybrid in today's game. They need to be able to bang down low in the post a little bit, stretch the floor and shoot three, put it on the deck and create their own offense. Right. Um, then you know you move into the the educational side, SAT scores, GPAs, so on and so forth. You move on to the peer side. You do your homework. Um, you know, interviewing teachers and parents and, and, and peers of that person, studying their social media pages and seeing exactly what is the character makeup of this person. Mm. Um, the reason why is because back in the day, um, I was working with the University of Oklahoma. This is probably like 10 years ago. I was first getting involved in scouting, recruiting. And there was a player that in the first quote unquote silo, if you will, um, as an athlete, no doubt about it, potential mm. NBA player. Right. As a student and an identity, uh, so identity student and identity amongst their peers, they were weak. But all I saw and all I knew was what I saw on the court. So I made a call to the University of Oklahoma. They had offered him a scholarship based on the feedback that I gave them. 
And he accepted that scholarship. And a couple of weeks later, there let's just say there was some content that was on his page mm. that n- it wouldn't fly on any university level. And that person becomes a direct representation of that university once they've accepted a scholarship. So that was revoked. Right. And that's why that final tier, that that character, that peer standpoint is so important. Totally, man. Yeah, it's 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 everything. And the other thing too is when you become part of that alma mater at a university or even at a professional club or an organization, or whatever, you become someone that worked at Facebook or someone that worked at uh, MPH. And as someone who worked at MPH or someone that played for Oklahoma or whatever it may be, you're representing that that organization for the rest of your life. Because that means at some point that organization signed off on you. Um, and that means a lot about that organization, right? That's why you have to be so careful hiring. Uh, it's everything. Sure. People people are the culture. People are the company. Uh, people are, are the narratives in themselves. I mean, it's just you can't stress the importance of it enough. So uh, being able to identify um, and, and why you're such a, a valuable person is is being able to identify the right people for the right circumstances and having the right systems in place to do that is maybe the most ubiquitous skill you can use, you know, along with communication and leadership in this life. <laughs> and it's so, so, so important being able to be a good judge of characters, everything. Um, for sure. So, all right. So, so there's the, the silos a little bit. Now, as someone who has, you know, is essentially in control of the basketball infrastructure for, uh, you know, a large part. I mean, yes, there's the schools and the clubs and the universities, et cetera, et cetera. But you play a huge part in, in now the ecosystem that you've built. So in that, in your relationship with these players, you're trying to build out the right characteristics as you, as you earlier uh, said earlier, what are you trying to add? What is the missing piece in these young people's minds? What are you trying to build um, in their story that you think they should be cognizant or aware of? So the main thing is I think everyone is everyone that we've dealt with so far, with the exception of Jamal Murray, RJ Barrett, maybe Dakeel Alexander-Walker, mm-hmm. Shea, the, the upper echelon. The, the levels below that and then the levels below the next level, everyone is afraid of the self. Mm. And here's what I mean by that. We are very easily adapting and tied into what already exists, what already is put out there. What's everybody else doing? I'm going to follow that. We are sheep. There's and, and this this age of social media and lack of discipline and lack of confidence is further engaging that. Mm. And I think that's that's the, the number one thing that we're trying to push is and this is gonna sound very cliche, but don't be afraid to be the self. These guys just walked in with a an and pass that over here. Pass that over here. We're gonna we're gonna interrupt you. I love it. Check this out. <laughs> Check this out. Damn. That's the national championship belt. So some, one of the kids this year is going to be – one of the teams, yeah, I should say, is walking away with, with this that. national championship belt. Beautiful. Now, going back to what we were talking about. So building building their identity is first and foremost – um, if you don't have, this is, this is why when you get to the NBA level, as an example, a rookie, a rookie gets onto the team. Uh, he's making 1.7 mil a year. A vet who's just resigned for five years is making 22, $23 million a year. They go out, they go out to the club. They go out shopping together. Teammates do that stuff. They go out and eat and have a certain lifestyle and get certain, uh, jewelry. If the one that's making 1.7 or 1.3 a year is trying to live the same life as the dude that's making 22 a year, there's no chance in hell that money lasts. Yeah. And this goes back to self-identity and, and building the self and being okay with the self because you can't play copycat your whole life. Everybody is different. Everybody has a different uh, 
path to go on before they, they reach that ultimate goal. Now, there are guys like uh, uh, Dwight Powell, who I hope uh, is going to recover very quickly, um, you know, who started off as, as one of the, you know, the, the lower end paid players and then got a contract extension, got re- redeveloped with Dallas and, and moved on to make more money. But it takes a super mature guy to to ensure that they're, they're living a certain lifestyle and, and are okay with who they are. Yeah, see that through. So, But then that, that, that raises the question of, well, how do I craft that identity? I mean, how do I know who I am as a player? Like, for instance, we're in an ecosystem where, yeah, coaches are looking for knockdown three-point shooters. They're looking for people that, are, that think a certain way, that act a certain way. And as much as that's all valid, you know, okay, so I need these, these characteristics but within those characteristics, how do I still be me? How, how do I find out what that is? Let's go, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, man. How do you know? How do you know who you truly are if you've been if you've been practicing to just do what everybody else does your whole life? You don't until you've sat down with yourself and come to a realization, a moment of clarity, if you will, on. What, is, what are the characteristics that make up who I am? Sit down with somebody else that knows you extremely, extremely well and ask them to identify your five best traits. Right. Yeah. Ask, ask them to identify um, what they feel other people like about you the most and what they dislike about you the most. Mm. And then you go from there. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, and that's hard. Like fi- finding that person's hard. Having that conversation is hard. And actually doing something with the results of that conversation is hard, you know, like and, and finding someone who's going to be real with you the whole way through. That's 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 a difficulty in itself. Yeah. I mean, you, qualities of building a team, you don't have to be good at everything. You have to know what you're good at. Be killer at that. Identify your weaknesses. And if you're part of a team, you know, figure out, OK, well, who can fill in these weaknesses? Right. And how do we put them in a position to do that? Right. And that's, you know, corporate business team, whatever it may be, that's everywhere. And that goes as well psychologically. Well, OK, well, psychologically, you know, maybe I'm a little bit of fri- I'm a little bit frigid. I'm a little bit hard in this sense, you know, and maybe I've missed things that a more compassionate person might see. OK, well, how do I start to learn those traits or put people around me that will have honest conversations and honest dialogue with me so I'm not blindsided by things? Right. But again, sure. to, to have that conversation and be like, oh, I'm not the best at everything. You know, you have to have your ego in check a little bit. It goes back to our earlier conversation. Right. For sure, man. It's a it's a testy world, man. It's a testy world. And everybody talks about, you know, wanting to achieve a certain level of greatness and wanting to um, reach certain goals, whether that's, you know, financially, whether that's uh, something tangible, a home, whatever the case may be. But it comes down to what are you willing to do to get there? Yeah. I mean, actually willing to do. How much are you willing to put in? How much of yourself are you willing to? Uh, th- there's a stage where where you deteriorate, mm. like you self deteriorate yeah, yeah, because yeah. you've exhausted all your resources, both in the bank and in person, and broken relationships, and so on and so forth. And it really comes back to that that conversation of ego. Absolutely, it really comes back to like it's a it's a whirlwind. It's a whirlwind, and um it's a long whirlwind too. Life is long and you have to stand the test of time in this stuff as well. Um, I want to, I want to pivot a little bit because, uh, you know, we talked a lot about individual player identity, you know, for the players, for the coaches, you know, we talked a lot about MPH and I want to talk about the national preparatory association and what you're doing there, because again, there's a lot of business people listening as well. And I want to kind of, Talk about that in a sense of like, well, you built this amazing infrastructure and now you're adding another piece onto it. What 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 is it that you're trying to accomplish with this association uh, for anyone that's trying to build a, a body or a governing body um, and a, a national infrastructure? And maybe if you could just explain a little bit more what the ecosystem is in terms of like why it's needed and how this fits in from like a sports um, perspective and, and yeah, why it's needed. For sure. So there, there's constantly been a battle between, uh, you know, the, the world, the word elite and right. the word prep 
in in Canadian sports, and that changed four years ago. Uh, you know, with the start of the National Preparatory Association, it was something that was demanded uh, by Canadian teams that wanted a higher level of competition and wanted to do recruiting and wanted to get recruited. Um, now, there are certain areas of the country that have yet to to buy in to the fact that there must be an, an elite level. It's not a pat on the back and everybody gets a ribbon type of environment. It's It's about championships. It's about ensuring that your entire roster by the end of your the year, if they're graduating, they should be on scholarship at some level, whether that's the lowest at the CCAA or JUCO level, whether that is at the U sports level, NCAA, NAIA, whatever the case may be. Right. But that is, that is the goal at the end of the day of the National Preparatory Association. Our measure of success is how many kids uh, graduate and move on and play at the collegiate level. And so far we're at over 96% of those kids are, are heading into that direction. Yeah. So it's four years of that. That's and insane. It's been, thank you. And you know, like it's, it's a, it's a dream come true because again, it goes back to filling voids and that's, that's how the structure and infrastructure towards Canadian basketball continues to develop. Uh, we're not doing anything that is, I don't want to toot my own horn. We're not, we're not doing anything groundbreaking. We're simply listening. Right. We're listening to what the market needs. We're listening to what the needs of our community is. And we are doing the be- to, our, to the best of our ability, um, providing environments that allow them to be seen, allow them. Uh, so whether that's through our, the live streaming of every single season game, yeah. whether that's through uh, the live tweets and the social media platform, uh, it's mass marketing. Like if you if you look at uh, the NPA pages or the North Pole Hoops pages, and you're like, they're doing this for amateur level basketball. Yeah, it's wild. It's it it's it's insane. It's insane. And it, some may say like these kids may not even deserve it at this point. Yeah. And to be honest with you, some of them don't because there's they've built kind of this like ungrateful approach for it. Yeah. Um, but for the for the for every single one that does appreciate it, and for every single kid that does go on scholarship, it makes it that much more worth it. Yeah, totally, man. I think so. Maybe speak a little bit to um, what is now needed. Then you know, how have the coaches kind of approached this? What what are the coaches thinking about? this you said it was a need and a, and a void that you guys is, that you guys filled and and i couldn't agree more from a coaching perspe- uh, perspective i'm interested to hear your your thoughts on you know our ecosystem is very different from the us um and we're very much growing we're, we're coming now and we're really coming into our own what's needed from our coaches here in canada um to really truly be a world-class um country so I think the, I think the coaches, uh, it's not it's not on them anymore. I think they've done everything that they possibly can mm. with the little resources that they have. Um, in the U.S., it's a lot different. You have you have alumni who are coming back to the program and they're donating, you know, half a million dollars. Right. You have a full time staff of athletic therapy trainers, strength and conditioning, uh, nutrition plans, so on and so forth. And then you have other places who are just making ends meet, essentially. Yeah. So the coaches are doing everything in their power. It's more so the infrastructure and the need for truly like preparatory uh, colleges, private schools to invest back into their programs. And we mentioned this a little bit earlier. All of that money is being invested into hockey. Mm. It's starting to change a little bit. Corporate Canada starting to wake up and see that. This is in the States. This is a multi-billion dollar industry. Absolutely. In Canada, that's not the case. Not even at the, at the college level here, let alone, let alone high school. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, long answer short for, in terms of, you know, high school coaches, I think they're doing more than they, than they possibly can, uh, to ensure that their kids are getting the most of their opportunities. But it's, it's a matter of, uh, their administration um and and corporate canada to wake up a little bit and to to invest and they will see a return on their investment it's just a five-year five right. year, five to ten year you know progress reports is what you're looking at it's truly um, an investment is what you're saying 100 percent. and you know what we're just a kind of an insider here we've been 
we talked about this on our, on my last visit to Vancouver. We're working on on trying to get a Vancouver school into the National Prep Association. Yeah. So if you look at it right now, from Calgary, Alberta, all the way to Newfoundland, yeah, there are schools present currently competing in the National Prep Association. This is the final dot to connect. And if this happens, you're going to see the community in Vancouver forever grateful to the first mover yeah. that, that, that takes a chance on this. Because you and I both know the basketball culture in Vancouver is one that is very high and rich and, and enjoys the game thoroughly. Um, and, th- and that's partly why the Olympic, Olympic qualifiers are coming to Vancouver um, in June. Now, take that to the prep level. You got... Every year, Vancouver is losing kids to other provinces every year. to go play prep. And states. Every single year. And to the U.S. Now, you develop one program where everyone is on board and, and wants to buy in. What that's, what's going to happen is, number one, other schools are going to recognize and they're going to say, hey, you know what? We can have our own conference out here. We have, we have the sustainability and the leadership to have our own conference. And that is essentially what this is going to look like long term. It is going to happen. Hmm. I don't know whether it's this season coming up or the season after, but it is going to happen. Mark my words, Vancouver will be the last dot to connect coast to coast. Yes, sir. Maybe you can speak a little bit to, um, we talked about narratives earlier and uh, Ontario, the East Coast, and just in general has a different narrative uh, as it comes to uh, basketball and, and, and identity and culture out there versus what we have here on the West Coast. Maybe you can talk a little bit to the culture that exists in, in, in those two respective areas and what needs to happen in terms of development over here on the West Coast uh, for us to truly hit, you know, a world-class level. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I think centrally, um, because we are so close to places like New York and Chicago and, you know, just from a personality standpoint, a gritty culture um, in, the, in, in the United States – I think that we adopt and, and borrow from those cultures as well. Um, the fact that we can travel pretty quickly and play against those teams um, now develops in Canadians traits that they never had, uh, certain levels of toughness and just just extreme like ferocity that they may not have had prior to. Now, vice versa, like on the other side in, in Vancouver, Everything is very spread out. You may have a kid, um, you know, a kid that's in northern uh, northern British Columbia that is playing extremely well, but he's never going to meet with somebody from Delta or close to the border in the United States. And if they don't participate against each other and compete against each other on a regular basis throughout the regular season then the dude that's up north and the dude that's down south is going to think that they are the best in the province, having not played against each other, having not practiced against each other. So I think, and this goes back to the whole prep conversation, um, solidifying a team of Vancouver or British Columbia's, never mind Vancouver, British Columbia's top 12 to 14 kids and having them go at it every single day and iron sharpening iron every single day that's when you're going to maximize on the potential of the province. That's when your provincial team is going to go to nationals and and compete at the level that Quebec does and Ontario does yeah. and Nova Scotia even, yeah. uh, which is a smaller, much smaller population, um, much lower in terms of economic status, yeah. yet they find ways. Yeah, which um, is incredible. That's incredible. For sure. That, for sure. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, I hear you, man. Listen, I think... <clears throat> economically like there's a that's that's a lot to do with it and and that's the part that makes me scratch my head because i'm like well the west coast should be prevalent we have all the ingredients to be prevalent and yet we are not prevalent um as it pertains to you know players entering the ncaa or players entering the nba um which is you know paramount to the culture and paramount to the success of of the sport uh, internationally and nationally so i think that's a big part and, and when we talk about economics i think what you spoke to earlier in terms of, you know, corporate Canada waking up uh, in terms of, you know, having, seeing that investment and having that investment. Um, it doesn't take much, man. Just look, just look down South, look at the NCAA. Um, you know, that's a multi-billion dollar industry. 
In fact, it's been shaken up a ton. Geez, maybe you can speak to that a little bit in terms of everything that's happening there in terms of players being paid um, and amateurism as a whole. I'm, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on on that situation that's evolving down south. Yeah, um, I mean, the rules are changing pretty significantly now down south, and it shows just how far ahead they are. They're about 50 years ahead as an industry. You have the NBA rules that are about to flip over as well, a little, uh, little insider. So just as T-Mac, Kobe, LeBron uh, left from high school, that's going to start to happen again. Wow. So now the collegiate system is not going to reap the benefits of of making oodles of money <laughs> off, of these, off of these off of these players and their jerseys and you know it's essentially like modern day uh, use a, a sensitive word here modern yeah. it's modern day slavery man. yeah it's modern day slavery and it's terrible um i agree with the fact that kids down south should be paid uh you know, to play in college. I don't believe that the scholarship is as great as it's made out to be, especially considering the billions that are made around uh, March Madness, the amount of gambling that goes down, the merchandise that gets sold, the tickets that get sold, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, so systematically, they're already changing. Yo. Yep. Man, Wi-Fi keeps dropping. You just, you, you, the Wi-Fi can't handle your bandwidth of, of heat, man. It's insane. Ah, stop it. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, listen, so NCAA players need to get paid. Um, I agree this new ecosystem that's evolving in that, um, yeah, modern day slavery. That's, that's harsh, man. But you know what? I think it's the truth. You can't make money off your own likeness. That's insane. Uh, that, you know, working without getting paid essentially. And, and that is the definition, my friend, especially when you're so multi-talented and at the same time, you know, those are your peak earning years. You should be able to earn through your peak earning years. Um, For sure. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that ultimately. Man, I got to ask you in, in closing here, you're doing so much for um, the culture, so much for the industry, uh, the country, and most importantly, the individuals that are growing up in this ecosystem. What's in it for you? You know, what's the goal and what has made this so prevalent as i don't want to say a life's purpose but you know something that you've dedicated you know coming up two decades to why is this so important to you man i mean it, it goes back to our our humble beginnings and you know just coming from an immigrant family and trying to make just trying to make it work in canada yeah. and trying to trying to get on scholarship myself at the time and it, it not working out not working out simply do a due to a lack of opportunity um my my goal is simply, you know, to to ensure that everybody that needs to be recognized, every every stone is turned, and every simple every person that is looking to get a, a Division One scholarship, a U Sports scholarship, um, gets that. Mm. And as as we continue to develop the culture in Canadian basketball, um, working alongside the national team, working alongside NBA teams now, and and you know NCAA clients, I think that it's starting to, to mold into what we want it to be. I mean, at the end of the day, I'd like to see myself at the, at the NBA level. And I think that that's not, it's not far fetched at all. Not at all. Um, we already work with, with, with those levels. It's just a matter of transitioning essentially. I don't know. I don't know if that's in the immediate future, but as of right now, we have a lot more work to do. I mean, we just finished talking about, you know, Vancouver's, if we're if if Canada as a whole is behind the United States, Vancouver is behind the rest of the country. So yep. we have to fix what's going on at home before I can even think of, you know, moving on to the next level. Yeah, totally, man. So at this point, you know, in your career or in your life, uh, how old are you, my man? Thirty-two. You're thirty-two. So at thirty-two, and with a bunch of experience behind you, you know, what's important to you now? You know, how is your thinking grown? How is your 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 consciousness kind of developed and what's in your head now and what areas are you trying to grow in and, and, and what's important? Yeah. I mean, naturally I think it's about it's about family and starting one, um, myself, but also leaving a legacy. Um, and what I mean by legacy is 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 having people remember you for purpose, for for having a vision having uh having set something 
that was before you non-existent and had a had an impact on thousands upon thousands of people via scholarship opportunities. Um, that's essentially how I'd like to you know to be remembered as I kind of transition through and eventually um, move into another realm in the sport and in this industry. Um, it's about it's about global impact and empowering uh, the next generation to think on their own. That's the biggest thing, you know. We're on a we're on a podcast right now that that is required to think. Yes, and that is that is that is basically it right there. That's right. probably why exactly why you have me on. We vibe on that level, and I would like to see the next generation of of students and student athletes have an understanding for what it truly means to to self identify and you know work with their own brain and make their own decisions. Yeah, if if you. Do you think that is the core to what your message is now as an individual, like in the world, or or what do you think are is the core messaging you're trying to throw out to the world uh, now in 2020? I think it's a I think it's a story of perseverance. I think that you are not uh, you are not your means. Um, you can get any you can get out of 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 any strife, any hardships, any any tough spots that you, that you, that you're ever in. Um, I don't think we, we got to touch on it today, but, uh, we come from extremely humble beginnings. Uh, Drake says started at the bottom Well, we started below the bottom. <laughs> um, and, and, and that, that is essentially it. Um, I think that only people that are super self driven, self motivated and have a long-term vision, are the ones that ultimately gain most success. And I just want to be able to push that message of perseverance and, and, you know, just getting to the next level. There's always another level. Mm. Beautiful, man. If there's in closing, if there's one book, piece of content, podcast, interview, whatever it may be that has uh, resonated the most with you over the last couple of years, what is it? Where can we point people and, 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 and why? Okay. Okay. Um, it is actually a non-business book. Um, but for me, it was the art of happiness by the Dalai Lama. Wow. And, and that, yeah. And that was presented to me at a time where um, I was kind of in the gutter, uh, a level I was, I was in a state of borderline, uh, you could say depression in terms of having this person running out of this perseverance. And I, and I thought that I had no more in me. And then I read this book and I realized that while you're serving an entire community, sometimes you may not feel appreciated. Sometimes you may not feel like you're getting your just due. Um, but remember why you're doing everything that you're doing and, and remember what it truly is to be happy. So the art of happiness by the Dalai Lama, um, one of the world's greatest figures of all time. Um, that's a, that's a no brainer. That's a no brainer. I love it. I love it. I love the direction that you went with that, man. I think that's beautiful. At the end of the day, it's about fulfillment. It's about happiness. It's about, you know, impact and, and legacy and, and all of those things are prevalent, uh, within that, that piece. So, so that's beautiful. Where, where do you want to direct people, uh, in terms of you, in terms of MP, MPH or, or whatever it may be? Uh, if people want to, want to find out more, want to connect with you, where do you want to put, put, uh, push them towards? For sure. So, I mean, you can find us on NorthPoleHoops.com for website and at NorthPoleHoops on our social media streams for basketball fans who are looking to to stay in tuned. And then myself at Elias underscore NPH, E-L-I-A-S underscore NPH. Awesome, man. I really, listen, I really appreciate your time. I'm, I'm so glad we got to connect, um, and actually make this happen. I've been trying and trying and pushing and, and you've been pushing and this is great. So, uh, a lot of, a lot of joy for my end for just having you on and everything we talked about we'll link to in the show notes on the website. Um, and yeah, man, listen, I'm just, I'm really, I'm happy for you and I'm grateful for what you, you've done and what you've built. And I'm excited, you know, if there's any, mentor or person that these young people can be looking towards I'm, I'm just happy that it's you man and i'm happy you've, you've you've grown into that spotlight and continue to you know serve the community in that way i'm i'm just super grateful for these young people because that didn't exist earlier and now it does so so thank you for your servitude man i really do appreciate it 
I truly, truly appreciate your words, man. Those are really kind words. And, you know, I, th- I thank you as well, number one, for having me on and for the team, for Kev, for your patience. Uh, yes, sir. Um, but also, you know, for you're 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 providing a platform here that that forces people to stop and think so that's you know that's hats off to that for sure that is the ethos my friend well thank you so much for tuning in uh we'll chop it up soon and uh and again make sure you reach out on instagram twitter website whatever it may be um and until next time man i just look forward to watching your journey peace and love bro thank you man Legacy, I know, what a way to end that off. I think that's really analogous of what Elias represents as a human and what he represents in his organizations and what he tries to build in other people. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on, Elias. Uh, Absolute pleasure and an honor. I appreciate what you're building out there. Uh, For everyone listening, if you know someone in the Toronto area that thinks the way that you do, is trying to broaden their knowledge base across all industries, is really passionately curious and is actually looking to expand um, how they're thinking and the people that they're tapped into and need a tribe to do that. Um, we'd love if you could share this podcast with them or other podcasts. Our back catalog is insane. We've noticed a couple of people out in Toronto really showing us some love and we want to continue to grow that base out there. Um, we also have a weekly shout out, someone in the community that, you know, no paid promotion, no nothing, just us, you know, giving some love to. And, and that this week is Steve Rio, someone that we believe is pushing the community forward. Steve actually has a new podcast called Now with Steve Rio that has a lot of parallels to ThinkSpace. The whole premise of the podcast is around what does it mean to live a good life? And I think there's a lot of parallels there. And if you enjoy ThinkSpace, you'll probably enjoy that too. Thank you, Steve, for everything you do uh, for us at Self Hired, for the community in Vancouver. We do appreciate you. On that same note, shout out to Self Hired for producing this beautiful podcast, making my life so easy, just coming in, sitting down, recording, and getting out of here. The production team's insane. If you're looking to produce a podcast, make sure you get at them. The link will be in the show notes, and the link will be in the description as well.